Welcome, welcome everybody to day two of the Women of Color in STEM Virtual Summit. I'm Michelle Hayward, founder of Positive Hire, and tonight we have Courtney Stoner, executive of a Fortune 50 company, who's our guest tonight. But first, I want to have a few announcements. Um, we had a great time yesterday. Um, we had Tamara Macklemore on, y'all went bananas, and then we had an even better session uh, right after that at the round table, really empowering each other, supporting one another, giving strategies, tactics, tips, and making connections. Because oftentimes we are the only one in our workplaces, and when we have questions and we need support, we don't have anybody to turn to, which is why I added the roundtable to the summit. We did it by accident last set, last summit because a speaker didn't show up, so I knew it was definitely needed for every summit moving on, and I'm actually going to add it as a monthly activity to the community for women of color, where you can come on, we can hang out, we can ask questions, we can talk about empire. But it's your opportunity really to get to know one another. Now, for those of you who actually went to the website and shared with us your career wins, I'm gonna be sharing those. I'm not gonna say your name, but I am gonna share every night, starting tonight, some career wins. So first one up, she received promotion to director from being a manager in one year. Yeah, y'all can cheer for it. Y'all can cheer for all these ladies. She helped design an API to snooze alerts, doing maintenance and release windows. Yay! She made it to senior software engineer within three years. What's up? That's what I am talking about. Yay. All right. She has um, successful turnaround of failing projects, not just projects, failing projects. That's what I'm, that's a skill right there. I'm loving it. I'm how, how are y'all liking these wins? How are y'all liking these wins? The more detail you shared about your wins, then I'm more than likely am going to share it. Now, this one I really love. I negotiated a $7,000 raise. What can you do with $7,000? It might go towards your student loans, your car note, or your mortgage. So you out of debt a little bit earlier. That's what I'm talking about. So everybody, if this is your first night, welcome, welcome. If this is your first summit, welcome, welcome. I am Michelle Hayward. I'm actually going to now turn it over to Courtney Stoner. Courtney has a civil engineering degree from Clemson University. She was actually one of my mentees many years ago at Clemson, and she was one of the best mentees. I'm like, Courtney, you need anything? She said, nope, and I still got paid. Those are my types of best, best mentees. So I'm going to turn it over to her so she can share with you her experience and be sure to add in your questions and we're going to do Q&A at the very end. All right. Thanks, Michelle. Uh, thanks for everyone for attending this event tonight. Uh, I just want to thank Michelle for the opportunity to share my journey thus far and um, you know, congratulates to you, Michelle, on the wonderful work you're doing with um, Positive Hire. So I'm going to share my screen here. 
And I thought I'd start out um, by sharing a little bit about myself and then um, taking you through a couple of highlights of my career with lessons learned. Um, you know, I graduated from Clemson uh, with a degree in civil engineering and I joined General Electric uh, right after that. I joined one of their leadership programs. And I stayed, um, I joined their leadership program in the GE transportation business um, and spent that time learning supply chain operations and how those operations impacted financials. Uh, then I spent a couple years um, in audit and advisory and um, still with General Electric, traveling across various businesses, um, looking at their financial health as well as revenue recognition. Um, and then I came back to the business unit in a specific functional role working in risk management uh, for GE Power in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, stayed in that role for a couple years, um, went to a commercial role still with um, GE Power and service operations. Then I had the unique opportunity to join an acquisition. Um, you know, GE purchased Alstom a couple of years ago and I joined that integration team doing the due diligence work uh, for for merging those two businesses together, and then um, you know, most recently moved to Zurich, Switzerland, and held a P&L role for General Electric. Um, so I thought what I would do today is kind of walk you through those key roles that I had, and talk through um, the tests that I had to overcome on my road to promotability, uh, the relationships along the way, and some of the sacrifices that I had to make or I had to decide if I um, wanted to make. So um, I'm calling this the role less traveled. And the way that I've laid this slide out, you know, visually is for, um, is to display that as I took each role, I was deliberate in ensuring that my scope of influence and uh, my scope of responsibility was increasing over time. And when I say scope of influence, I'm talking about things like um, horizontal, moving from vertical management to horizontal management, responsibility in that I gained extra responsibilities in financial metrics, organizational size, or complexity of scope. So as I mentioned earlier, you know, I started building my foundation in the leadership program. And, you know, my first opportunity to move from an individual contributor to an actual people leader was when I was doing audit and advisory. And at this point in time, you know, I had communicated that I wanted to be a, a people leader. Um, and I have, had advocated for myself to be a people leader. And what I learned was that, um, you know, it was a very competitive field that year. But one of the things that differentiated me from others was my ability to help and train new team members. And the company um, felt that there was potential that I could execute through other people because I had displayed in my own work um, a willingness to share information um, to help my teammates and um, to communicate um, the effects of my work to other, other people in my group. Um, and so then, you know, as I moved into that leadership role for, for, the, for the company, um, one of the first tests that I had was more of an internal test, and it was me trying to determine, you know, what type of leader I wanted to be and how I wanted my teams to walk away from the interactions with me. Um, and during this time is when I started to realize that, you know, my teams would function more effectively when I recognized them as individuals. 
And so I had made a conscious decision during this time that I would learn the individuals that worked with me. Um, I would defend them and I would instill a level of accountability with fairness and I would help them reach their personal goals um, in addition to us reaching the corporate goals. And then lastly, you know, always having fun. Um, as I was preparing for this presentation, I kind of self-reflected on, you know, that moment in time. And I realized that that was probably smarter than I realized for me to do that. Because as I left um, audit and advisory and I transitioned to my next role, which was a little bit bigger, and it was a high high visible functional role um, in the business unit, I didn't necessarily have the business expertise, but I had the functional expertise. And I was being tested on if I could lead in an area that I had to learn. Um, and this was probably the first time, um, the first memory, vivid memory that I have where I experienced I don't know you, I don't trust you. Um, you know, I was an outsider being hired into a business unit and I traveled a, a different path to, you know, lead in this functional area. And, you know, during this time is when I realized the importance of having a personal strategy that was separate from the organizational strategy. And, you know, when I think when I say personal strategy, I'm talking about things like, you know, what's my personal learning plan um, to understand the business, to understand the key processes so that I can be effective, um, so I can overcome, you know, skepticism about my ability to lead in this area, um, you know, seeking out one-on-one -on -one connections so that I could understand, you know, who are the key players, who are the cross-functional allies that I need, um, and who also had a diverse journey to, you know, leadership that I could, you know, discuss some of the challenges that I was going through with, you know, with the environment in the office. Um, you know, in this moment, in, in, or in moments like this, when you're transitioning to an area that you have to also gain expertise, um, you know, you still have to meet, you know, the business objectives. And so this is where, you know, the skills that I learned as a leader kind of kicked in and I was able to demonstrate with operating rhythms and, um, you know, team building events that our, my team could still execute per the expectation and nothing was lost, if you will, while I was transitioning into a, to a new area and a new uh, expertise. Um, with any leadership transition, um, you always deal with people moving in and out the org. Um, especially if you're in a situation where someone who was there was hoping to get promoted up. Um, and, you know, I just really took that as an opportunity to demonstrate, you know, my ability to career plan um, and really put my mark, if you will, on the function and use it to shape, use that opportunity of open roles to shape how I wanted to recruit um, hire and plan for diverse talent and doing things such as finding new sources to recruit. Um, you know, I always had a diverse interview panel and I was very much an advocate of having different thinkers, different functions, different backgrounds in play so that the team operated um, as a team of experts. Um, another thing that I did during this time that I found really useful was 
I used my sponsors that I had to learn the office politics and to help me be ready for public settings or public report outs so that I could start to demonstrate um, that I was learning and, and picking up things as well as I was adding value. Um, you know, another thing that I learned during this time was, you know, as my expertise was recognized, you know, I started to get invited to meetings that necessarily weren't in my area of um, necessarily needed for my area, but they might have overlapped or there might have been some interdependency. And while I valued that, I mistook what that meant for me as a as a leader. And so I would attend these meetings and I would listen to learn, but I failed to realize that this was an, this was an evaluation. Um, and the evaluation was on if I could contribute in a larger setting in a larger area. And so I had to deal with the fact that my ignorance at that time of the moment resulted in me being, you know, tagged as reserved. Uh, quiet and you know potentially lacking self confidence in larger settings where their leaders were or had bigger scope than I did, and if I really could um, interact with other executive leaders in, in the business, um, and so you know this is this is um, was a moment where I also realized that you know everyone was always watching, and it was really important that I understood how to change certain behaviors. Um, when I was invited to meetings on strategy or cross-functional relationships, such that I appeared and I demonstrated that I could operate fluidly through any function, any functional meeting, and up and down the leadership chain. Um, you know, I, I worked on this for several years, and I got to the point where I felt I kind of accomplished, you know, what was being asked of me in this functional role. And I had, you know, decided it was time for me to move on. And I wanted to move on to something with broader scope, um, something with more responsibility. Um, and I communicated that to, you know, the leaders that I felt were sponsors to me um, that had an interest in my uh, career. And around this time, I was also pretty vocal that I wanted to move up into the executive ranks and I'd say, you know, this is where I started to learn about um, executive toolkits and being evaluated on my diversity of skills uh, cross-functionally versus my, my skill sets functionally. And, you know, I received another test. You know, I was challenged on if I could use my expertise and grow commercially and help the business receive top-line growth. And that kind of led to my next role, where I was being um, tasked, if you will, with you know, coming up with new commercial offerings so that we could uh, achieve more growth, uh, find more customers, and you know, the gas turbine service operations. Um, and as I look back on this opportunity and this, this role and the progression up and to the right, it really was a question of how diverse was I? Um, how fluidly could I move to another function? And was I deep, did I have the depth to use my skill set um, and grow broadly and, and solve customer facing problems? Um, you know, this is actually the first time I probably thought I could actually fail. You know, I had 
yet to sit in front of a customer. Um, I had yet to close a deal. But I also thought the feedback was somewhat valid. Um, and I did have a desire to be diverse. And I also had a desire to have, you know, staying power and be able to have opportunities um, inside my function, outside my function. And so I, I took this opportunity and I said, you know, let's, let's see what's possible. And a wonderful thing happened to me here where I just so happened to help a sales leader um, close a deal. He needed someone to review the terms and conditions of a deal. And when I moved into this commercial, I told him, I said, you know, I'm in this role. The company is asking me to help them come up with new offerings so that we can grow. Um, I don't have any customer on my speed dial. I don't have any, I, I'm not interacting with any of the sales operational planning. And I said, can you introduce me to your network and can you help me with the commercial language and then can you get me in front of a customer? And this turned into just a wonderful partnership where, you know, we did some customer roadshows, we learned what their problem statement was, we presented that to engineering with data, we came up with an offering and we generated, you know, millions of dollars of sales um, because we were able to solve a, a market need with, with, um, with the product. And I actually gained more confidence as time went on because I realized that even though this role was outside of my comfort zone, I was collecting information along the way that helped me be successful in an area that I had some level of expertise. Um, I learned a lot about poise in this role. I learned a lot about presence. Um, I learned a lot about managing other EB peers and learning how to communicate that my problem was their problem and collectively, you know, how can we solve it? <clears throat> um, I also truly learned the value of relationships and building relationships, not only with inside my function, um, but also across functions um, to solve, you know, complex and cross-functional problems. Um, and so we were, you know, enjoying the ride um, in generating a lot of business because of this. And as, great as I felt during this time, you know, I still had to deal with that self, self-confidence problem again. Um, I continued to get feedback that I appeared reserved. Um, I appeared quiet and I wasn't engaging in the meetings that they felt that I should be engaging in. And, you know, I had to really spend some time and kind of dig deep into that. And what I learned was you know, my approach to Q&A was to, you know, listen to the question and, you know, respond in a manner that I felt was appropriate. And I learned that my hesitation in answering questions was perceived as, you know, someone that didn't know what was going on or, you know, a lack of, a lack, lack of confidence in the answer that they were going to provide. Um, and I experienced a little bit of frustration as well, you know, during this period. But I also learned the value of pregame prep, and I changed the way I prepared for presentations. I started to look at who was attending, um, what role they played in the organization, um, what was their level of authority, and what questions would they be asking based on their function and their level of authority. And my preparation turned into anticipation. You know, if I present this perspective 
you know, how is um, the engineering leader going to respond or how is the global supply chain leader going to respond? And that um, was probably the most powerful lesson I learned in that role because that's something that tra trans transferred with me every other role after that. Um, you know, and so as I continue to work on, number one, my commercial expertise, and then number two, my presence as an executive and my interactions um, in meetings with senior executives and sometimes even the CEO of the company, um, I started to feel pretty good. And I started to feel that I was solving um, the, the perceived deficiency I had in being a diverse leader who could lead at the executive level. And so I started to go down the path of, you know, getting this say do honored, you know, you know, I was told if you solve for, if I solve for this, then I would be um, positioned for broad, more opportunities and positioned for larger roles. And, you know, at, at this part of my career is when I learned who the real decision makers were when it came to, you know, executive level promotions. Um, I learned about, you know, having supporters and having true sponsors. Um, and I learned about who's really in the room when decisions are being made um, for executive level positions and who's, who, who, who's advocating for you. Um, and so this was kind of like, a, I would say, a turning point for me um, personally because, you know, I was trying to deal with the fact that I was putting in work to evolve as a person, but I still was um, challenged with not knowing about all of the office politics. Um, but, you know, but thankfully I had, you know, resources and, you know, leaders in the business that, you know, were supportive of me and they were helping me navigate a pretty complex um, hiring process, if you will. Um, and so one of the, the best advices I can give people is, you know, truly understand the office politics, but also truly understand the promotion process. And, you know, if your manager's advocating for you, do they truly have the authority to promote you to the next band or next level of leadership if, if that's what your aspirations are? Um, you know, this was my, actually the year that I did get, when I had this commercial was the year I did get promoted into executive leadership. And, you know, GE had decided, as I said in my bio, to acquire another company. Um, and so another role popped up. It was to do M&A for this deal. Um, it was one of the largest industrial acquisitions to date. And, you know, as I was turning along in the commercial role, um, you know, I was asked to, you know, take this M&A role. And, um, you know, at first I was not really interested in taking the role because in my mind I had the thought process of I need to address my commercial skill set. And I was so focused on that that I didn't stop and think on if I truly wanted to be a long-term commercial leader or if I really just needed to take this opportunity to build an expertise and move back to my first love, which was operations. Um, and so as I kind of went through that thought process, I realized that, you know, my first love really was operations. And while I do um, appreciate and I gained a lot of insight and intel from the commercial role, like I really wanted to get back to where my heart was and where I operated uh, seamlessly, which was operations. So I moved into this um, this role. It was a 
due diligence acquisition role to evaluate the services business of Alstom because General Electric was interested in purchasing Alstom. And, you know, this role was ambiguous. Um, the scope was very much increased and it covered every function um, in the business. And, you know, the test at this point in time was, could I truly handle scale? Um, you know, one of the reasons why I was hesitant with taking the role was because it kind of mirrored the regional functional risk role that I had, except it was global. Um, but then I had to kind of think through long-term and realizing that, you know, everything's building on the prior role. And so, you know, in this particular situation, I was being asked, you know, can you use your experience and can you scale what you know and essentially merge two businesses together, um, merge two organizations together while meeting uh, financial obligations. Um, and at this point in my career, I was completely removed from execution. Um, I was still in Excel, but I wasn't really in Excel. And what I learned in this career jump was the power of questioning and being able to use questions to understand the team's on track, um, to understand if the team has depth, to arrive at meaningful meeting outcomes, and then to make sure that we're going to hit our deadlines. Um, you know, this is also where I learned about dealing with age and dealing with questions on why I was where I was at the age that I was um, and managing people who or leading people who, you know, potentially had years on me and learning how to do that uh, maturely. Um, you know, this is also where I learned about <clears throat> valuing the mission of the company and really being able to connect to it so that you could empower the teams and motivate the teams. Um, and the last thing I learned here that, um, you know, really helped me out was just learning how to decide, learning how to decipher between bad decisions, good decisions, and the right decision, and sifting through complex information to figure out, you know, what's right for right now for the corporation. You know, this chart also shows that as I moved up and to the right, you know, I was able to go from regional to global roles. And then, you know, my last role, as I mentioned, um, you know, was an international one, leading out of Zurich, um, you know, being responsible for a business unit financials. And, you know, at this point in my career, I really um, evaluated risk um, differently. You know, when I thought about international moves and leading business units, I really evaluated from the perspective of personal time and, you know, making sure that I was making smart decisions that helped my career, but also that I felt were meaningful based on the time I was willing to invest um, in the initiatives. Um, and during this time, you know, some, some lessons that I learned were, you know, connecting with my EV peers and learning how to foster those relationships. Um, learning about dealing with conflict um, and dealing with often office politics when you're managing, um, you know, large budgets. Um, I also had to deal with um, 
you know, being quite frankly, the only female um, and, you know, navigating an environment where there really is just all men and, and you're there alone and dealing with that and using that to, um, you know, my advantage. Um, and so, you know, I invested early on, you know, a lot of time performance and expertise. But one of the things that I tried to do along the way was take each test as it came, um, learn from it and use that to build upon um, those experiences ultimately to, to navigate bands and to navigate uh, broader roles. Um, so I thought what I'd do after this is kind of walk you through a couple of reflections that I've had and then keep moving through resources. Um, I listed a couple here that were important to me as I self-reflected, but if I could just pick a couple that um, truly stand out to me is really sacrifice. Um, you know, understanding what your level is and when to say no. I always find that when people are invested in um, the job that they have or they, they feel like they're working on meaningful things, a sacrifice makes sense. Um, so just understanding what that boundary is for you. Um, I think it's really important to stay relevant and to reinvent yourself. I think, um, you know, we work for companies that we want to see them reinvent. And I, I think it's important for the talent to do that as well. I think it's really important to be balanced. Um, I could always tell, you know, when I was enjoying work, when I had invested time both in social and fitness activities. Um, and I also think it's important to understand office politics, um, which is completely different than office gossip. But I think um, it can it can really aid in your navigation if you listen and observe to what's going on around you. And then lastly, um, for those of you who are already leading teams, um, just remember to, to hire well. You know, it really matters to have a strong team around you um, as you, you know, navigate your career journey. Um, I also wanted to list a few resources that have been helpful to me throughout um, my journey. On the left-hand side, I have books, and on the right-hand side, I have professional services. Um, I've read a lot of books, but the ones that I keep going back to are, you know, listed on the right. You know, the first one here, The One Minute Manager. Um, you know, this book really helped me deal with um, people who dump on you or working with people who dump on you. Um, they stop you, they dump your problem, and they delegate the solution to you. And so I really use this book to kind of remind myself on, you know, leading is empowering other people to execute in their area. And while I do believe in um, crowdsourcing ideas and workouts, um, you know, they're also, you know, everyone has a role to play. And this, this book really helped me understand the role that I played versus the role of um, those that were in execution. Um, I do think it's easy for engineers to learn finance, um, and the Lemonade Stand book is a great book for anyone that's trying to whip up on their uh, financial skills. Um, it just really breaks down the balance sheet and the income statement well and helps you get an intro into that. Um, the first time I had conflict with the manager, I was trying to figure out why um, we weren't getting along. I read this book, The Big Sisters Guide to the World of Work, and um, it just really breaks down how to navigate challenging relationships um, and challenging organizations and how to fine tune your communication so people always listen. Um, I'll just start to the bottom here, activate the brain. Um, as I moved up in the organization, I asked more questions and did less work. And activate your brain is a great 
book on how to stay fresh mentally when you still have hours to go. Um, and so I really recommend that. And then on the right, I have professional services. You know, I am a product of all the people who supported me in the past. Um, I definitely like industry-specific groups, whether it's, you know, engineering affiliations, energy affiliations or journalism or um, the tech group affiliations that are out there. I do like structured mentoring and coaching with business leaders. I think if you see someone who has a profile that you like or they have a skill set that you're trying to master, I think those are great ways to meet people, potentially meet sponsors, as well as groom your skill sets. I'm also a big advocate for shadowing. I think sometimes when we're thrust into a new opportunity, especially if it's bigger in scope, we may not know the mechanics, if you will, of those meetings. And so I do think shadowing um, can be helpful so that you can get your bearings before it's time for you to actively engage. And then lastly, you know, I, this year I've decided to take up professional coaching and um, I'm using uh, a wonderful uh, expert in Gayla Jackson. And uh, I just want to highlight that because sometimes in my experience, um, corporate uh, coaching may be different than personal coaching. And I was really, um, you know, kind of hungry to do something that tapped into my personal values. Um, and so with that, you know, thanks for the time. Um, just a quick snapshot into my career and some lessons that I learned. And um, I think we're ready for Q&A now, Michelle. Okay, great. So we have four questions so far. So if you have any more, be sure to go to Q&A. And I have like eight of my own. A couple you already answered, but we'll go ahead and get started. The first question, and just so you know, I'm not saying names, and obviously Zoom knows that. So many of you are coming in with the name N-A, N-A. So welcome all of you that are N-A-N-A. Um, in those transitions of leadership roles, did you have a different sponsor for each stage? And if so, how did you initiate or determine who that would be? Yes, I did have different sponsors for each stage because at each stage, my sponsor had a different level of authority. And so when I was aiming to move from individual contributor to first time people leader, my manager who became my sponsor had that authority. Um, but when it was time for me to leave, you know, the audit and advisory and go into a business unit, I had a different sponsor who was a senior executive because he had the ability to place. And he had the ability to attend multiple sessions for career planning and he could get my name out there and open doors for me to have the conversation. And so the, when I moved from the functional risk role to the commercial role, I actually had, that didn't have clarity on who my sponsor were. Because remember I said I wanted that role to be my executive role. And so that's where I learned Maybe I have advocates for the work, but I don't know if I have sponsors for executive. And so my current, my manager at the time had the authority to sponsor me 
to executive because he was in the, the, the inner crowd where that conversation took place and he could ask for executives. And I mean, a little bit of it's timing and luck, but as I delivered for him, you know, he was able to deliver for me. Great. Uh, the next question is, hi, Courtney. Thanks so much for this. What are, thought, what are thoughts on how to maintain the mental toughness of navigating the corporate space as a person of color? That's the first question. The second question to this is, what ways did you find to replenish to stay mentally sharp for the intangible hoops to navigate to navigate? and or hurdle yeah you know i i remember um going to meetings and watching people present and watching them talk about their career journey and i was curious as to how they got there and then I, I was brave enough to go try and I definitely got tired because I, I felt like the company was trying to change me and because there wasn't a lot of um, diverse people, I didn't have a lot of examples of what a good response to the feedback I was getting um, looked like. So a lot of my mental stress was my psyche on, you know, am I doing, you know, is this the, is this what it looks like? And how is it supposed to look like? And I think I, I, I ended up, um, you know, tapping into some of the affinity work that GE had. You know, they had affinity groups where they would foster an environment um, for people of color to have these type of conversations. And I would ask for examples of how to navigate um, situations and environments where it appeared I was doing what everybody else was doing. So if, you know, if my response looks like the room, then why is, does my feedback feel so personal? And that, that was, and again, my psyche, you know, no one was telling me that that was my psyche, but being able to offload that kind of freed me up mentally to kind of focus on the task at hand, which was how do I keep navigating, um, you know, the, the, the office environment and office politics, you know, I, I will say that I did get tired and I have been tired on multiple occasions and I definitely, you know, I've thought, thought about over those roles, like maybe I should go someplace else. Um, but then I always came back to, you know, wh why couldn't it be me? Right. You know, why, why couldn't I do it if I'm already executing at that level? Um, I will say that, um, when I kept, when I managed my calendar appropriately, I was able to manage the mental fatigue of it. But when I let loose on boundaries was when I became more exhausted. And I mean my work calendar. You know, I went through a period of time where I was available to anybody, even on Saturday. And being too loose on boundaries made me want to give up because I felt like I was giving too much to the company when no one really asked me to be available on, Friday, on a Saturday. They just happened to call and I picked up. And so once I became more confident and setting boundaries and sticking to them and living them and telling people, hey, look, I, I can't do that. I'm, I'm out of the office. 
that's when I became a bit more at ease with my time. And I had the mental clarity to kind of navigate things throughout the week because I was recharging, if you will, on the weekend or on holidays and things like that. Um, the last thing I'll say is I really think it's important to find someone that you trust that you can just really vent to, not necessarily on people or the environment, but sometimes you're going to have a bad day. Um, sometimes you might not get the job. And I do think um, networks outside the company are truly helpful because they'll help you remember that it's just a bad day or it's just that one event and remind you that there is more, whether it's at a, another company or whether it's, you know, a, a, another project that had come up, but just really giving you that perspective on um, a well-balanced living. Thank you. Can you provide an example of some of your meaningful questions, especially to decipher if a team will make the deadline? I think a great question is, can I see your project plan? <laughs> because if you don't have a project plan, I just don't understand how you know what the finish line is. Yeah. And I think um, having, and so that's question number one. Question number two is, you know, you could have projects that are cross-functional. You could have projects that are vertical. But if you have a cross-functional project and the only person presenting is the person in your function, I think a great question is, where are the other key players that are responsible for delivering this project? And when can I get an update from them? Um, I think a third great question is, when you ask, are we on track? to also ask, can I see how you spent your budget and can you reconcile that with me so that I know we have enough money to complete the project? And you'd be surprised, I mean, it's, I'm not saying that people can't do that, but I think people get so attached to get to the finish line that they might forget some of the fundamentals of project management. I think another great question to ask is, for, especially for something that you have to implement globally, is when is the pilot? And who is the pilot audience? Who are the regional reps? Did their bosses agree that they're regional reps? When are we all meeting? Okay, great. Yeah, people do forget, and I love milestones and projects. Like, you're not hitting it, but your budget's way out, way out of control. Or you're not spending, so how are you going to finish? I've had that contract and they were the main engineering design company. Okay. Um, at leadership levels, delegation can be an interesting concept. Can you walk us through your relationship with delegating as your leadership responsibilities grew? So I think there's two paths with delegation. I think, um, in my experience, I had people hungry for it because they also had personal aspirations to grow their career. So they were wanting to demonstrate that they could do portions of my role. And so they wanted, they would ask for the delegation. And then there's a delegation that comes with, you know, we have a, a task coming up and I need to make sure that we have all hands on deck so we get to the finish line. And one, of the, one thing that I really like to do um, is just really ask everybody, do we all know what the problem is? And what do, we, what do we all take away from the meeting? Because delegation without a common understanding is, could, can potentially be fruitless. 
And so I, I'm an advocate of those postmortems. And then I would say, okay, what's the problem that we need to solve? And then what's the potential solution? And then from there, in my experience, delegation makes sense. And it's not personal because if that's your functional area or if that's your responsible area, then naturally that work goes to you. Um, I think I've had more personality problems when I needed to delegate something that didn't fit nicely and I needed someone to do something extra. And, you know, in those scenarios, I would just try to say or try to share, hey, look, this is the business need and this is what we need to accomplish. And you have the best skill set to do that. You know, I need you to take this on. And, you know, sometimes responses would be, well, but some people would just say yes, but sometimes you make get responses that say, hey, look, Courtney, I'm already leading five high intense areas. If I take this one more, I'm going to fail. And that's where I have to go in and just talk through, okay, what are you working on? And let's reprioritize because, you know, this particular thing may um, be higher on the priority list. And I have found, and I've done it that way, but in the beginning of being a people leader, I wasn't that mature but what i just described i found to mostly result in the outcome that you want um when i was earlier in my career i would just kind of give give it out and that that didn't work well at all and people felt like objects and so i think my prior example made people feel like they were part of the team and part of the problem and then and then when the work was done i let the team pitch their work so they got the credit Where do you you think you made that switch from explaining to people, you know, treating people on your team like an object to saying, hey, you have too much on your plate. Let's sit down and figure out how to work this out. Was that through understanding how to communicate? Was that understanding personalities? Like where did you pick up that skill set to know how to how to delegate better? Um, I probably picked that up. in the functional risk management role, um, we used to do these evaluations on managers, and it would be a weather report. They would tell you if you were sunny, partly cloudy, cloudy, or thunderstorms. And I got a thunderstorm report, and the I was floored. And the team shared with me that they felt I was too transactional, and they didn't understand why they were doing things, and I didn't know them. And I wasn't invested. They, they felt that I wasn't invested because I didn't spend time talking through problems, solutions, and how we're adding value. And, yeah, I continued to get that thunderstorm report for most of that year. And then I was able to kind of really work at that communication. But, I mean, I did a lot of role playing as well with my manager on how to overcome that. Okay. Thank you. How hard was it transitioning from engineering to executive leadership? Are the goals, rewards more or less tangible? Ask me that again. How hard was it transitioning from engineering to executive leadership? Are the goals slash rewards more or less tangible? Uh, Well... Yes and no. Um, you know, there. I would say number one, the transition was challenging because you have to execute through other people, and at, at the executive level, you're you're not necessarily over small projects. You're over functions, and 
that means you're over processes. And so therefore, um, it was really challenging for me to, to communicate effectively across my EV peers and what we needed to do so that my function could be successful. Um, but the rewards I thought were greater because it wasn't just my work that was being recognized. It was like the work of my, my organization and seeing people um, complete these projects or seeing people hit their financial numbers and being rewarded for that. You know, seeing people who work for me get promoted and hit some of their personal goals, you know, I found it to be more rewarding. I think what I wasn't prepared for was the amount of time that I needed to spend on relationship building and overcoming that um, with my peers. If you were giving advice to high school girls who are just entering college, what skills or activities would you advise them to engage in so they would begin, so that they can begin their leadership career? So freshman in college? Yes. Um, I think they should join Toastmasters. You know, I think being an effective communicator whether you decide to be an executive or not is a fantastic skill. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed sports um, and I played sports um, for several years in college, not for college, but intramural. Um, but I think, you know, competitive sports, whether it's chess or basketball or some activity is helpful because workplace is competitive being able to learn how to win and build self-confidence um, in activities, I think helps self-confidence. Um, and the last thing I would suggest um, them to do is have fun. Yeah, I like the fun part. Yeah. And I love Toastmasters. How do you think race influenced your leadership experience? I mean, I definitely had to play with several styles. You know, I am, I'm well aware of, you know, the angry, you know, black woman stigma. And then I'm well aware of being quiet and being reserved. And I used to have this saying all the time where I would say, you know, you, you want me to be a diva or a doormat? You know, it's like there's no one between here. Um, and so I definitely struggled with that. And then I struggled with, um, you know, being too nice. And so I think what I decided to do was not necessarily look at black women or black men and how they led. I just looked for people who I thought were effective and, you know, looked how people responded to them in meetings and looked how their information was, you know, being absorbed looked at how they were promoted and tried to see what attributes that they have that were being, what, what attributes that they had that made them successful. And then did I have those attributes? Um, and I, I think once I kind of settled on that, it helped me get out of my own psyche of, you know, if I do this behavior trait, am I going to be considered an angry black woman or a reserved timid woman? I just said, okay, this attribute is what's desirable. Let me work on having that. Okay. How have you navigated situations where leaders challenge your management style, though you were accomplishing the goals? 
I mean, this has happened to me a lot and it's going to happen again. And one of the unwritten rules of office politics that I was not that prepared for was the challenge and being challenged by my peers, especially in big meetings in front of the CEO so they could exert power. Um, And I just come back to being prepared. I mean, I don't, Maybe it might happen more because I'm a female. I don't know. But I do know that being prepared transcends genders. And being able to punch back with data, with sound strategy, being able to articulate why you're doing what you're doing and showing the wins and then coming back and showing that you had a hypothesis and you delivered, nobody sees gender when you, when you do that. I love that punch bag with data. I, I don't know why, but um, that's that's my favorite quote for tonight. Okay. <laughs> um, hi, Courtney. Great to see you. How do you maximize the value of informal leadership roles in an effort to secure a formal leadership role? I'm tied up here and I have no formal leadership experience but I have a plethora of informal experience internally and externally. That is frustrating. Um, does the, are the people who are giving you this feedback able to hire you into a formal role? Um, if not, um, maybe that's a path you can go down is that, you know, if your val- if your skill sets, are valued enough to give you these informal and I'm hoping meaningful projects, then what's the path to a formal role? And, you know, just letting them know, well, maybe, maybe I, you know, maybe I need to stop doing some of these informal things. So I'm available to do formal roles. Um, I think it's completely okay to have transparent conversations, challenging feedback like that in a respectful way, you know? So, so for example, thanks for the feedback. I heard so-and-so maybe moving out of their role. I'd love to be positioned for that since I'm lacking formal experience. Will you help me do that? Um, and just kind of put, put not just put people on the spot that are giving you feedback, but give them homework if they're giving you feedback to help you get what you need and the company can potentially benefit as well. Um, all that helps. I've, I've been there and it is extremely frustrating. Um, so the, the more I think you can force formal opportunities that you can compete for and putting the individuals to work to help you get there, because it sounds like you're getting feedback, which means in my opinion, they value you. So how can they help you get to that formal opportunity? Yeah, but they put in a circular path. Right. Okay. In the beginning of your leadership path, would you consider yourself more reserved or introverted? Um, probably a little bit of both. Um, I prefer small me- small team meetings. I prefer small groups. I like small functional teams. And, you know, I work in a company that large cross-functional highly matrix so meetings would be 40 50 people and there's just a lot of energy in a room and so i had to get used to that um and so i wasn't necessarily 
reserved because I was introverted. I was reserved because I was trying to get the lay of the land. And I failed to realize how I could use those meetings to make connections. I was managing my introvert nature by learning how to channel my energy in these high energy sessions and just staying focused and not get in a drain suck because there's like 50 people in the room, you know, at, at some point everyone might be talking at the same time. And how do I stay on, on top of my game mentally um, in an environment that I kind of, I don't mind, but don't necessarily love. Got you. Code switching for executives of color is an, is an open secret. How has this affected you as you navigate your career? Code seeking? Code switching. Code switching. What does that mean? So you know how you hang out with your family and friends? Hey, y'all, how you doing? Okay. Hello, good morning. How are you today? Yes, this is Courtney Stoner. Oh, I see. Look. <laughs> I think number one, though, I, I, this is why I choose to answer this. Number one, you know, is it the same personality? I think I think it's like your personality in various settings. And so, whether I'm at home or I'm at work, it's the same personality. It's the same humor. It's the same interaction, but the topics could be different. Um, but I will say, as I increased my level of influence and I moved up the chain, my personal and professional did mix. And so, for example, when I went to um, to Switzerland, I had to talk to my boss about where I was going to get my hair done. And he was just like, you know, we want you to move to Switzerland. I'm like, well, I, I can't move there. There's no one there that can do my hair. And then, you know, go, go on. and then he, he's bald. And so he's like, I don't have hair. And so I had to walk him through my Saturday process of getting ready for Monday. So I look like I, you know, have some sense and I'm all put together and trying to figure out what that looked like for me if I moved to Switzerland and how I was going to manage that. Um, and so I have another example of where personal merge with professional when I started traveling with these other EV peers, mostly male on road trips and they want to go out and party then what am I going to do? Am I going to stay home or am I going to go out, you know, to the club with them if we're traveling over the weekend? And so, so one weekend we went to a hip hop club. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm tired of going to country Western bars. You know, we're going to go to you know, hip hop clubs since you guys, you know, say you love rap. And so I definitely um, opened myself up a little bit in terms of interjecting my personality and my, um, my personal interests into my work life when my work life overlap with my personal time, like my weekends or, you know, moves and things like that. Um, I don't, I know there's a lot of talk about this and being, being real or being or not. I just think it's about, do you know where you are? You know, if you're at work, is that really a work conversation? Is that really a work, uh, an appropriate term or appropriate demeanor at work? Um, and I think once you, if you're, if you know it's appropriate and you're interacting in an appropriate manner, I feel like that's what mature leaders do. Yeah. All right. Now I have my own set of questions, so I can't type them in. So y'all can, y'all can continue to add questions, but these questions actually came from when I posted that you were coming to talk. So we had four 
women on that post who had these questions. I would ask a female executive what she feels her role is in regarding to helping other women advance. I found that regardless of industry, many women, women have told me that they feel they don't get as much help from senior level women. This could be because there are few. So how have you helped other women rise or advance in their careers? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, one of the th one of the things that I really like to do is um, have a diverse slate for interviewing. And so, if you know, my process was, you know, I would always try to ask, you know, who was performing well in the company. Um, who was up for promotion, who was receiving positive um, feedback, and they were ready for more. Um, and if I had an open opportunity, you know, I would ask them to, to apply. Like, you know, consider joining my team. Um, you know, this is an area that I've heard that you're interested in. And, you know, let's, let's, let's say this is a great fit for you. Um, I've also had, had situations where some people weren't performing well. They were in a ro the wrong role, maybe working in a team that didn't gel. And I couldn't necessarily hire them, but I tried to help them network out of that situation into an area that, um, you know, they could thrive in. Um, one of the moments of self-reflection I do have is I did wonder if I was doing enough um, in terms of, not necessarily hiring people, but placing people, you know, once you have a certain level of authority over your org, you know, you can, you can place people. And so I definitely did go through a period of where I was trying to figure out, you know, was I really doing enough um, to help people? And was I really doing enough to place people? And, you know, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if I, I did, but I tried, you know, I tried to keep tabs on um, the talent. I tried to, um, push them to apply for roles in my org. Um, I tried to promote them in and, you know, help promote them out. Um, and, you know, I'm you know, still working at it, but, you know, those are the things I try to do. Great, thank you. Uh, next question, what can white women do or stop doing to help make space for women of color? You know, I just really think there's room for all of us. Um, I think that we can't be so competitive that you don't want your sister friend to not succeed. And we can't look at someone else and think they're competition because the reality is there's less jobs at the top and everyone's competition and everyone wants your seat. And so, you know, if you're in an environment and you don't feel like you have the female camaraderie that you deserve, then my, my best advice is to do that in your own interactions. You know, if you're not seeing the type of support for, that other people should be giving you, just make sure you're giving that to the other ladies that are on the same journey as you, trying to grow their career. And maybe by seeing, you know, some positivity, you know, some of the, the hurt that you're seeing from these other women, they'll, it'll make them self-reflect and they'll realize they're not doing enough. 
Courtney has shown a lot of vertical promotions during her career. How does she feel about horizontal career moves? I think they're great, especially if you're tired. And so if you're someone and you're moving, you, you, don't, you don't know if you're ready to move up again, or you don't know, or you're happy where you are, but you see a job to the right or to the left, and you think it'd be great for you to pick up that skill set, or it looks fun, or you're interested. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that, um, you know, if you're gaining skills, it's, you know, it sounds fantastic. You know, my one piece of advice is, you know, as you stay on that level, make sure you continue to differentiate yourself. Because when you're ready, if, if you decide you're ready to make a move up, you want to show the growth and that you grew even though you stayed at the same level. Um, you you mentioned that you have an executive coach, which answered that question. But did you go through an executive training program while you were advancing in your career? Did you spend a week or was it a, a an external program that you were enrolled in where you were coached and provided communication skills, executive presence, just how to read a profit and loss statement, those things that really helped you advance in your career? Mm -hmm. I did receive some corporate training. Um, I, I received um, on-the-job training, if you will, on how to do the financial <laughs> um, analysis. Um, but I, you know, earlier, several years ago, um, you know, the company was pretty well-budgeted for training. And so I did have the opportunity to go to training on communication. Um, I went to training on um, leading large teams and um, I did some webinar training on change management, um, but things like Toastmasters, you know, I paid for. Um, a lot of the mentoring that I received, it was, you know, people giving me their time. Um, but I, I will say um, that training is also, if your company offers training, it's also another avenue of office politics. So my one advice there is, you know, what's the process to get into a training class and do you know what it is and how can you get your name into that? Because that also can be a political um, process in a corporation. I won't disagree with you on that at all, even if it's just for the budget mm -hmm. to get, if you find your own class. Um, how did you get comfortable speaking to the CEO or in meetings with the CEO? Yeah, I still get nervous um, because I don't know like where he's coming from or what meeting he just had and if I'm getting a good, you know, if it's a good day, it's a tough day. Um, but I will say that um, I believe in the pregame prep. And, you know, when I talked about earlier, the, the anticipation, I was more afraid. I couldn't answer questions. And I just really believe in that, you know, getting in a room for 30 minutes and just letting people kind of tear apart your material to make sure that you can answer their questions. Because if you can answer the question of your peers, then you got the CEO because he really, he's not at your level. He doesn't have the time to get into your details. Yep. So if you can handle the challenges from your from your manager even your peer group people on the staff then you're completely ready for the ceo 
Okay, um, the next question is a whole narrative. So just go with the flow. Okay. Clear, and it starts off, clears throat and begins to type. Okay, I'm going to bite the bullet. The number of hours worked at leadership levels can be daunting and can sometimes leave little room for developing romantic possibilities. Disclaimer, Courtney, I am not absolutely not asking you about your romantic history. Can you shed light on your thoughts on navigating the dating world at this level? What does the landscape look like? Tiptoes back into the shadows and hides. That question needs to be a, a social media, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, you know, there are some years where I worked a lot um, and I put in a lot of time. And, you know, I give my girlfriends a lot of credit because they were like, you got you to gotta put some boundaries down. This isn't working. Um, and then when I put those boundaries down, nothing fell apart. And then, you know, you kind of chug along. And then there were a couple of years in there where, um, you know, I was working a lot. And friends came in and said, this is ridiculous. You got to put some boundaries down. Um, so that's one thing. Number two, you're right. It is a lot of hours and it is a lot of time. And um, I don't think it's impossible, but I do think the quality of your staff and how well you manage your calendar are two things that can make or break you. That make or break if you get to dinner that night, make or break if you get to the gym the next morning. Um, and so if you know, if you haven't invested well in it, if, if you haven't had the opportunity to invest well in a team, or be able to really manage your calendar um, aggressively, then uh, it'd be a struggle on time. But the, on the dating piece or men and all that other stuff, what I will tell you is that it is true that um, there is a perception that working results in being single. But in my opinion, the man I want to attract respects what I've done and values what I've accomplished. And they are not concerned about me having time for them because if he's attracted to me, I'm attracted to him, they become the priority. And then you manage your calendar appropriately. Okay, and they said, tell them, Courtney. Let them know, okay. Um, and Courtney, thank you for your honesty and sharing your story. Michelle, thank you for organizing the event. Sorry, I was Okay, so it says, was your executive coaching something you found and paid for on your own? So I chose to pay for it on my own, but I will say that um, I do know of companies being willing to reimburse if you find a coach in an area that they agree um, is an opportunity for you to grow and they see value in it as well. And so I never had people ask me as a leader, you know, will you pay for this coaching? It's really going to help me in this area and I've done it. Um, so I would consider pursuing that if you're interested in having your own coach. Okay. Um, one more question. How can we rise to the level of sponsorship? Whose responsibility is that in order for us to have sponsors? You know, I did 
seek out sponsors. Um, and I decided to seek out sponsors when the company told me that I was good. Um, so when they had communicated that they were pleased with the output of the work and that they were pleased with um, my approach to things, then I started to have the discussion around getting sponsored for, for bigger roles. And I, I also believe I had sponsors that I didn't know about, um, you know, hallway sponsors that were advocating for me. Um, but I decided to make the topic a conversation topic after I was told that, and I was concerned about getting an equitable return on the value I was bringing. Okay. One more question about executive coaching. Do you have executive coaching companies you recommend? Um, I, I do. I'm, I'm using Gayla Johnson right now. Um, I'm really pleased with the process. Um, she's on LinkedIn, um, and she offers a suite of offerings, and uh, she was to me, recommended to me by a friend, and, um, you know, it's, it's going well. Okay, somebody said, ah, oh, Gayla, I used her. She is awesome. A couple other comments. I've been a Toastmaster for years, president of my corporate club years ago. It is still very much relevant. Yes, communication, yeah, communication is paramount no, no matter what. And I wish I'd done it um, around 2004, 2005 when I got my first job out of college. I didn't join Toastmasters until 2016. Um, and it, it was tremendous change. And, and what I do want to know, Courtney, is the way you present stuff. It's very succinct. It's not a lot of side slides. It's to the point. Um, so it's, oh, Gayla Jackson. Okay. Sorry. Gayla, I put it in the wrong. Oh, maybe I said Johnson. I'm sorry. Gayla Jackson. So, um, so, and, and I love that it's very uh, succinct and to the point it's not a lot of extra stuff and I think we sometimes get stuck on we have to have all of this information yeah. um, ahead of time okay any last questions we have a few seconds left I think I really enjoyed the session okay well we're out of time so <laughs> it's eight fifteen. so everybody thank you so much for joining us Courtney, thank you so much yeah I'm glad you could come through. We will continue with the summit this week. Tomorrow, guess what we're going to talk about? Communication <laughs> in, in hostile environments. Oh. Or not hostile, but um, what it, was, it, was, uh, it was a word, a situation, high-stress environments. So this is a great lineup of how we're going to roll through this. And then on when, and that's going to be tomorrow, we, we have it with um, Lynn Hurdle. And then on Wednesday, we will have Lisa Anderson, who will go through the unspoken truth about how women of color get into uh, executive leadership roles. Mm -hmm. And executive presence is one of those things. So Courtney is in a very particular order for a very particular reason. And we added um, Tamara at the very last minute. So, but it's, it's all going to work out. It's all going to play together. Y'all going to love it. I'm sure. I'm sure. So Courtney, again, thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Michelle. So proud of you. I can't wait for tomorrow.
I know, right? All right, everybody, we will see you tomorrow. Have a great night, and I'll see you then. Bye. Bye.